Welcome to the Show Me It's You podcast. I'm Zach Lawhorn from Show Me Opportunity, and today I'm joined by Coriana Byer, David Stokes, and Patrick Ishmael from Show Me Institute. Patrick, earlier this week, we released our Missouri Parental Bill of Rights. What's in it, and why do we do that? Well, I'll start with uh, why did we do it? As our listeners know, we have been working on transparency and accountability projects and programs for a while now, especially in the last four or five years. And that's because local government, local government entities oftentimes aren't transparent with the public. And we started with cities and counties. We asked about collective bargaining agreements. Uh, And in the last three or four months, uh, we have started asking school districts and schools to tell us what they're teaching kids because that had been a very hot topic among parents. Uh, and kind of like cities and like counties and, you know, like, uh, you know, fire districts and all the rest. Unfortunately, schools and school districts were not terribly inclined to provide us uh, with the information that we were looking for. Uh, they weren't always transparent in a way that we would, uh, I think, uh, find to be acceptable. Uh, and we did get some responses. You know, we sent 2,700 re- requests out, and, and some uh, districts were, I think, straightforward and forthright with us. But, you know, some districts, like the St. Louis Public School District, were not. Uh, we had asked them for records. We knew that they had records. They denied that they have rec- had records. And then when we showed that they did, uh, then they showed us the records that we were expecting. And so the real question for us, I think, after that was, um, <laughs> What, what exactly is the relationship between parents and districts? What, how, how do districts view their position relative to parents and relative to taxpayers? Uh, and do parents really have the sorts of rights of oversight that we would really want them to have? And I think the answer in short is no. Um, you know, if you can have a district that misleads you or just kind of puts you off, tries to price you out of getting records that you should be entitled to, you really don't have the sorts of rights that I think that you ought to have. And I think a lot of parents think that they ought to have. And so that's why we decided to put together this Parents' Bill of Rights. Uh, and I think what, what's in it uh, is not terribly ambitious. I think it's all pretty uh, pretty much built around an idea of consensus where, you know, parents uh, should have the right to know what uh, Missouri schools are teaching. Uh, parents should have a right to know uh, how Missouri schools are performing. This goes back to uh, Susan's work, Susan Pendergrass's work, uh, on uh, the, the sorts of failures that we're seeing across the state in terms of schools preparing kids for uh, their careers and for their lives. Uh, there needs to be transparency and accountability for that. And unfortunately, that hasn't existed. So parents should have a right to know how those schools are performing with clear data. Uh, Parents should have a right to know how schools are spending taxpayer money. They should have a right to choose the educational option that already exists in law. If you're in a district that has school choice, you should be able to make full use of that choice. Uh, They should have the right to make healthcare decisions uh, for their kids. You know, if the, the state isn't imposing, say, a mask mandate, um, parents should have the right to say, I don't want my my, my kid's face covered all day. Um, It's, I think, pretty simple and straightforward stuff like that. It isn't radical uh, in really any respect, except for maybe radical transparency, if that's a thing. Um, But I think that it provides kind of a baseline for discussion for next year about what are the sorts of rights? What kind of a government do we want to have? What kind of a school system do we want to have in this state? And especially in light of kind of the problems that we've seen in the last few months with schools and school districts kind of, you know, uh, misleading parents about what's being taught, uh, you know, some parents feeling like they're uh, being uh, persecuted for their concerns. Uh, that's just not an acceptable status quo. And I think that a, a parent's bill of rights, this Missouri parent's bill of rights is a good 
first step to at least exploring the idea that, uh, and, and really what I think should be a principle is that parents should have, you know, a, a very uh, important role in their kids' education. Taxpayers should be able to see what they're getting for their money. And anything short of that, I think, should be a, a non-starter. Uh, Missouri's attorney general filed a lawsuit earlier this week. Uh, to your point about transparency, we've talked about on this podcast several times before that Missouri's sunshine law, something you're very familiar with, needs more teeth. What was kind of your initial read of the lawsuit, and uh, what do you think the chances are of it going forward? Well, I think the lawsuit is uh, not terribly surprising. I mean, uh, the Springfield Public School District has been very uh, resistant to transparency, uh, inquiries about what they're teaching, inquiries about uh, what they're telling uh, teachers as well. Uh, And we had made requests of them about critical race theory. There was a state legislator who also made a request. I I believe that they want to charge him $170,000 for the records that he was requesting, which is insane. Uh, And but even the attorney general's office asked for records and they wanted uh, the Springfield Public School District wanted, I think, $37,000 for the records that the attorney general's office was asking for. And so I think um, it's not terribly surprising that a lawsuit was filed. And, and unfortunately, I think that you could file a lawsuit like this uh, against districts across the state. Uh, you know, there are 500 something uh, school districts uh, and you, you don't necessarily have the same kind of close oversight as you you might see in a place like St. Louis or Kansas City or Springfield. And I think, you know, Springfield is a, is a big target because, you know, they have a lot of kids in that system. Uh, and their what I think are violations of the Sunshine Law are pretty egregious. And so I'm not surprised that a lawsuit was filed under uh, these circumstances. But I, I think and, and I, I, I have the, the sense that it'll probably be successful in, in getting some of the documents that have been requested. Um, but my concern, and this also goes back to the, the Parents' Bill of Rights uh, document, um, is that this is a problem, not just in Springfield, but uh, that you could find in rural school districts, that you'd find in urban school districts. Uh, and, and the problem is, is under current, this current Sunshine Law, um, the Attorney General's office just simply doesn't have the bandwidth to file lawsuits against everyone. Uh, same with, you know, just uh, private citizens or private organizations like ours. We're in the middle of a Sunshine Law lawsuit right now. Uh, and we're in year two of it. The, you know, there was a, a, a lawsuit that I think just concluded after 10 years uh, that was also a Sunshine Law lawsuit. So I, I think that it is a positive thing in the sense of the attorney general's office filing the suit, because I think that there will be progress made as a result of it in getting documents from Springfield. But I think the negative side of it is, is simply the fact that a lawsuit had to be filed at all uh, and, and to really provide uh, transparency to every Missourian, all 6 million uh, Missourians, not just the Missourians who live in the Springfield Public School District, to really provide that kind of transparency. There has to be a rethink of uh, the, the Sunshine Law, a rethink of the relationship between uh, you know taxpayers and, and the school district, because if a school district can just deny transparency to taxpayers, uh, frankly, I think it brings up the question of, well, does does the school district think it rules over the taxpayer? Does the taxpayer rule over the school district? Um, I think that those problems have to be resolved. I think, the the again, the lawsuit is a good uh, decision. This is a, a, a good 
defendant to choose because the Springfield Public School District has been an, a bad actor for a while here. But uh, I think that you really have to get at the reform questions and to really get at the reform questions, uh, you're really going to have to advance legislation. And hopefully that legislation will be coming next year and hopefully it'll be informed by uh, the Parents' Bill of Rights that, that we've been putting out in the last few days. Yeah, my last question before we move on, it, we're a couple of weeks away from pre-filing. It does seem like that we're in an environment now that is more conducive, at least than I can remember in uh, the recent past, that the legislature is probably going to do something next session, right, around this, whether it's educational transparency or putting more teeth into the sunshine law. Are you, sunshine law, are you optimistic or do you think uh, my optimism is maybe misplaced? I, I think I'm optimistic. I don't think that your optimism is misplaced. You know, this is this is a a bill of rights that's based around accountability and transparency. And I think that um, whatever you think about something like school choice, because the, the Show Me Institute full throatedly supports school choice, but I think if you're more biased toward the idea of you know supporting district decisions, you at least want the honest truth from the district. And if you're not getting true and accurate information regarding what's being taught to your kids. Uh, it, it makes it very hard uh, to say, well, the district can do what it wants. Uh, I think that uh, th this is an issue, transparency and accountability that actually transcend the, the traditional school choice lines. And I think that there is a, a, a large appetite to ensure that uh, taxpayer funds are spent appropriately, that parents and, and taxpayers know what's being taught in the classroom. Uh, and I think that, you know, we've already been contacted by legislators about uh, informing the legislation that they're planning on filing uh, in the next session because they have seen our, our Bill of Rights. Uh, I think that there are going to be a number of bills filed. I'm hopeful that one of one or more of them, depending on what's in each bill, will pass. Uh, and, and I'm hopeful because I think that Missourians deserve transparency, especially at the local level. And I think that that transparency has been denied substantively for far too long. And I, I for one, am very optimistic about the odds of school additional school choice measures passing next year in the legislative session. I spoke uh, last night to a, a group out in, in mid-Missouri, and exactly the type of, of group sort of, I don't want to say rural, but it was Boone County, but the type of a conservative organization that in several years ago would have had a lot of people uh, opposing or highly questioning school choice for, for communities like that. But last year, last night, when I touched upon the issue for Show Me Institute in my talk, you could just tell that the vast majority of the people there were strongly supportive of additional school choice measures. And I think that's thank you to, to COVID and everything that uh, parents have been experiencing over the last year and a half of of what people have been going through. So I'm very optimistic for next year. All right, moving on. Coriana in Chesterfield, there is a $130 million music production facility being built, and it's all good news, right? We are, we are, we're excited. There's nothing. What's going on, Chesterfield? <laughs> well, not exactly. Um, so that music production facility is, you know, being funded by a hodgepodge of different incentives, which um, I'm sure everyone can guess how. David Stokes and I feel about that. We're against it, obviously, a private facility, music production facility, any kind of facility should be funded by those private dollars, not the taxpayer dollars. Um, but what is maybe more um, alarming is that the company that is building this music production studio also has kind of 
been working towards getting a music production tax credit at the state level. So uh, that would be uh, tax credits that the state would give out to any sort of music production that would happen in the state. The point of that is to kind of spur the music production industry and to get more of that here in Missouri by lowering the amount of taxes that they would have to pay. And when I first heard about this, I feel like I had like deja vu back to um, some older SMI publications I'd read about the film tax credits. It's a very, very similar situation. Film tax credits basically did the exact same thing, but with film. They wanted to spur the film industry, turn Missouri into the next Hollywood, I suppose, and um, try and get the film industry to move here. And you don't hear all that much about it now because it pretty much failed. Uh, it started in 1998, and it had a sunset provision, so the legislator had to go through and reauthorize it every six years, and the legislature actually let it sunset in 2013, I believe, uh, because it really wasn't doing what it was supposed to do. It's meant to spur all this economic growth and bring all these companies here, and apparently there were two movies that were made here, and <laughs> it wasn't quite the uh, the Hollywood that they had thought so they ended that tax credit and it's like a zombie it's been equated to because it keeps popping up in the legislature and uh, hasn't been reinstated yet but this music production tax credit is very very similar and I can't imagine it going any differently for Missouri I perhaps Chesterfield will be the next Nashville but that seems just as unlikely as us being the next Hollywood you almost have to admire the audacity of, of it all. That this new company with Gateway Studios is their business. It should open next year. And I'm sure it will be awesome, and I hope it succeeds. But the audacity of they've received $3 million in state tax subsidies. They've gotten a substantial property tax abatement from St. Louis County going forward. So they've got millions of dollars in tax subsidies from, from ordinary, hardworking Missourians. Yet it's not enough. Like at their groundbreaking ceremony the other day, like they're right out there saying what we really need is a new state tax incentive program. That's 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 the ticket. That's what will really jumpstart this. So it really just goes to show how how deep the rot is in so much of this the the way people look at, at corporate welfare and tax credits and tax incentives that a business that is just opening in Missouri, thanks to substantial and thanks in part. It's certainly not entirely, but in part to the largesse of the tax subsidies it's already gotten, wants more. And they've hired their lobbyists and they've got it all set to, to go for this state music production tax credit program, which will absolutely follow the path of film tax credits and many, many others and succeed only in being a form of corporate welfare for the, the business that benefits from it. It's absolutely preposterous uh, that this is being considered and it would be appalling if it were, were to be passed by the legislature, which I very much hope it will not be next year or any year. Well, you said you have to respect the audacity, but this isn't exactly daring, right, in the state of Missouri for a private company to ask for uh, development subsidies. I mean, they would. <laughs> I wish it were. <laughs> right. It's not, I, what I remember the audacity is right at the beginning, like at the at the groundbreaking, say, thank you. Thank you for the subsidies we've received. And now we're going to need some more. It's like, thank you, sir. May I have another? Uh, it's really, it's really frustrating to to see that and to see the the some of the legislators 
present seemed receptive to the idea. I like to think that they were just trying to be polite when they were <laughs> being asked questions at this uh, party hosted as uh, part of the groundbreaking, because there is absolutely no argument from the on this. They they cited a tax credit like this in Pennsylvania, obviously the famous Missouri Pennsylvania music tax credit rivalry is what they're trying to address, <laughs> but. I read about the tax credit in Pennsylvania, which is also under the same umbrella as their own film tax credit program, and Pennsylvania's own internal reports on it say that, that there's no evidence that it, the state gets any type of real return on investment from this. It is nothing more than corporate welfare and, and, and centrally planned largesse for a select business. I have no idea why a music production facility deserves a tax credit more than the, a new plumbing company facility or a new tow truck facility, I mean, or 10,000 other types of businesses. It's just ludicrous that they would even consider this. But it's not really surprising that the push comes from the music production industry. That's always the way it goes. It's never the taxpayers that say, you know what, you should give my tax dollars to this private company. It's always the people who have something directly to benefit from this tax credit. Like they would receive the, they would receive the tax credit. They're exactly the ones that benefit. So they are the ones that are pushing it, you know, not the other people, the taxpayers that would be affected by losing out on those taxpayer dollars. And it shows there's an article in the Post-Dispatch that I was able to read briefly this morning about a new meatpacking facility in Warren County, which sounds fantastic. It'll be a large facility, a lot of jobs. But of course, they say in the article, the incentive package hasn't been worked out yet. So it really just goes to show how important the need by groups that are starting it at Mercatus Center and the Mackinac Institute, uh, other think tanks are working on a nationwide effort, a compact of states to agree to all to have all states stop doing this, to get rid of this idea that we have to compete with other states through tax subsidies. And that, as dramatic as that step might be, something like that is probably going to be necessary in the long run to get a to get a hold of this. Well, and it says in the Post-Dispatch article that it's estimated that the, work for, the workforce will grow to more than uh, 100 people and production professionals are estimated to pull in an average salary of $70,000. Um, so you can read that as a justification for the incentive uh, or, as you've talked about many times, David, you can read that as something that may or may have happened with or without the incentive. Like that, that is not a a slash in the pro column for the incentive necessarily. And that's one of the findings of the many, many academic studies on this subject is that in the majority of cases, the development would have happened anyway, but the the money is there for the asking. They've got the lawyers and the lobbyists lined up to go ask for it. So, so why would you not almost? But in this case, they're asking, they're not just taking what's being given to them from the Missouri Works program out of Jefferson City and St. Louis County. They're then going to go out and seek their own brand new tax tax incentive here. So this is not just an example of something's out there and they're they're taking it. They're trying to lobby for additional ones and I think deserving of of harsh criticism for doing so. Patrick, I think this uh, actually points to something you mentioned earlier about entities control the taxpayers or taxpayers control the entity. I think that some of these municipalities um, are forgetting whose money they're giving away. And that maybe similar to what we're seeing in the um, education space, uh, there might need to be some more civic re-engagement in these municipalities that seem to be all too willing to give away taxpayer money for these kind of developments. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, the the 
uh, situations that are, we're describing here, the meatpacking plant or, or music, you're, you're talking about classic rent seeking, uh, where you have concentrated benefits and dispersed costs. And because of that, it's very hard to get any individual just taxpayer to say, well, we need to stop this project because, you know, this will cost me you know, two dollars out of my pocket, you know, out of what my contribution would be, because that would, is what would be lost uh, from total, the local tax revenues or something like that. I, I think that uh, when, when folks recognize that these projects, these carve outs build up over time, uh, it really does affect. Uh, local services. And, and I think it, it's absolutely true that, uh, you know, you want to have a, a taxing system, you want to have a government that treats taxpayers equally. You know, if you need to cut taxes sp for a specific industry to attract them to your area, maybe you just need to cut taxes for everybody and try to incentivize everyone to come to your area, whatever that particular industry might be. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that Rent seeking uh, is is bad news. Uh, you know, trying to increase profits for your particular industry or group. I understand the incentive to do that, and certainly it's it's everyone's right to try to petition your government for for favors. But as the average taxpayer, I think that uh, a lot more needs to be done to really recognize and act on the fact that these sorts of projects and these sorts of deals cut into services over time. And the sooner that you can get a handle on them, uh, you know, the better off. I think the health of your local economy is going to be long term. All right. And for our final topic, we'll go back to uh, where we started, which is Springfield. So it's a double Springfield episode. Um, a similar situation. There's a private company building a sports complex in Springfield. But this one has a, a little twist to it. David, what's going on? Well, they Monday night at Springfield's meeting, they were voting on the establishment of a new SID for this sports town complex youth sports facility in, in Springfield. And I don't know how they voted on it. Not for lack of trying. They've, it's not online yet in the minutes of the meeting, nor have they uh, returned my phone calls trying to find out what, what happened. So I'm anxiously awaiting to see the results of that vote. Hopefully it was held or better yet defeated. I, I doubt that, though. But this is just the next incentive they have. They have a whole litany of, of future incentives for this development as well. They've got... They've got a request in for four million additional subsidy dollars from federal stimulus funding that Springfield received that this facility wants. So the two million dollars SID, which may or may not have been passed on Monday, is is just one part of many. And that I think we talked about how far this has gone in Missouri with subsidies going now going everywhere, not just being reserved to overuse and abuse in St. Louis and Kansas City like in prior decades. Now it's sort of constantly happening happening everywhere. So you see that in Springfield, and it's just, it's just terrible that people think it's so all right that we're just throwing tax money at, at private, private, private individuals and private businesses right and left and raising taxes on ordinary people in order to do that. So that's what you have in Springfield. It's completely related to the TIF in Webster Groves, the Douglas Hill TIF project. Webster Groves, a, a beautiful leafy suburb of St. Louis County. Uh, they've got a $40 million, $35 million TIF plus a few million in other subsidies being considered next week on the 23rd by the, by the Webster Groves TIF Commission. And they have a public hearing a week after that on November 30th before the city council. Unlike most of these programs and proposals, this one has been adamantly opposed by the people of Webster Groves 
for months now, showing up at planning commission meetings, showing up at TIF commission meetings where I was, showing up at city council meetings, uh, writing letters to the editor of the local paper. The opposition to this is strong, and I very, very much hope that both the TIF commission and the city council uh, see that. The people of Webster Groves do not want the eminent domain that comes with this project, which is awful, the tax subsidy, the the floodplain development, all these things are, are immersed into this bevy of bad proposals as part of this deal. Um, and so very much hope it gets rejected. The Planning Commission in Webster Groves did not support it, which was unusual. They, they went for it on a tie vote out of that. So hopefully the City Council and the TIF Commission will see the, the same thing there. And hopefully in Springfield, they hopefully they will be rejecting these subsidies for Sportstown there as well. Well, and part of the interesting thing interesting is the wrong word part of the worst thing about the springfield cid is that they're fronting the development money correct thank you on that uh, there's there's so many bad aspects of it sometimes you you miss one uh right instead of passing a sales tax that will then as they collect the special sales tax and then get to use it for their private development in this case springfield is giving the, the development $2 million up front, and then they're going to try and pay themselves back with tax collections going forward. Despite the fact that on Springfield's own economic development guidelines, they specifically say that the city should not do that uh, on their own on their own webpage, that they, they're not going to do that. Well, here they are doing that, which gets the city of Springfield basically in the act of being real estate speculators here, just taking tax money and putting it into a development, hoping it succeeds, which... Springfield should have learned is a very bad thing to do because Greene County, uh, the county in which Springfield is located, did exactly the same thing about 15 years ago when they passed bonds to supplement a private residential and office development in Greene County and then had a special neighborhood improvement district tax. A neighborhood improvement district is a special taxing district just like a TDD or a SID. And they thought the taxes from the NID would... uh pay back the bonds. Well, the development failed and Greene County taxpayers, including people in Springfield, were left on the hook for many of those bonds out of general taxes. So that was a, a real failure and you would hope Springfield would have learned, but but uh, potentially not. In Springfield, hey, David, or... Go ahead, Patrick. Oh, I, I just had a question, David, because you know, with, with local government, it always seems like we're trying to stamp out fires. When it comes to local tax incentives, what are the sorts of reforms that you would hope to see next year in the legislative session that would hopefully head off a lot of these bad projects before they happen. The one that Chomi Institute has long supported is the move to county TIF commissions, taking away the authority from cities and moving to counties. Don't get me wrong. I'd like to get rid of TIF entirely, <laughs> but, but for the, the scenario of what can happen, moving to the county level so that the elected officials who are appointing the members of the TIF commission are responsible to all the voters in the area. Within a city, you often have a city making decisions to affect the school district, and oftentimes the school district affected may only be a small part of that city. So the voters in the school district have no ability to vote on this decision at all. You, you greatly reduce that at the county level, and we've seen in the state's I'm sorry, the counties that have county TIF commissions, St. Charles and Jefferson County especially, on, on almost an elimination of TIF in those counties. And in St. Louis County, we've seen a reduction in TIF thanks to the use of the ca county TIF commission. So that works. Uh, Cass County outside of Kansas City uh, recently became the fourth county to move to a county TIF commission. We haven't had any 
impact of that yet. I'd like to see far more of that. I'd also like to see for SIDS and TDDs, much tighter requirements on going to public votes uh, as, as often as possible. And as well as I recently learned, realized that smaller SIDS are exempt from disclosing the taxes that they raise because of some state rules for tax privacy. So that is something, we just learned this a few days ago, that I think the legislature really has to address, that this is tax money. And the idea that it's not allowed to be disclosed to the public just because the community improvement district is so small, uh, that's absurd. So that's another one to address. And there's plenty more. We can do a whole show on that. (laughs) All right. Wrapping up next week, uh, Thanksgiving week, but uh, Liberty never takes a holiday. So... Um, the three of you, I'm sure, will be keeping tabs on a bunch of stuff around the state. Patrick, let's start with you. What are you going to be keeping track of next week? Well, uh, it's going to be more parents' bill of rights. We certainly just rolled that out. So uh, there's a lot of interest both uh, on the public policy side, but also uh, in the media on that particular project. So I'll be talking a lot about that. Uh, we're putting the uh, final touches on a paper Uh, dealing with Kansas City's uh, housing situation, whether we have an affordable housing problem here or not. Uh, So you'll probably see that come out by the end of the year. But in the next week or so, it'll be mostly ensuring folks understand what the the Missouri Parents' Bill of Rights is all about, uh, why uh, I think and we think that it's important. uh, And uh, that will probably dominate most of my work uh, for the next few days. Coriana? Um, So in the last few years, it's been pretty common in the occupational licensing space to sort of um, find these little niche areas that don't really apply to the occupational license that they are in and to sort of take them out of that occupational license so they have um, less strict regulations. We've seen this in Missouri with the hair braiders and with shampooers. And there's some work in a few other states to take that further with some of the other occupational licenses. So I'll be looking into that, um, researching that, and seeing if there's a chance for Missouri to uh, work on that front. Because we definitely want to reduce the red tape that's involved in getting to your chosen profession and making a living. And David Stokes. Well, this should be the week where people across Missouri are getting their, their tax bills. Uh, their property tax bills. They should have got it in the last few days, or if not yet, uh, very soon. So I'm very interested with the rise in housing prices to see how people's property taxes increase and to see if cities, counties, and schools and the like have rolled back their rates as they're legally required to, or if they too many of them tried to find ways around it or didn't roll their rates back enough. So very interested in the tax increases people might be facing, particularly within the Kansas City School District, which, as we often discuss, is the only taxing body exempt from rolling back their rates so the people of Kansas City could really get walloped here. Also, you know, usually when you get your personal property bill for your car, boat, whatever, primarily cars, it's, uh, usually it goes down as your car gets older. It declines in value. So it only really increases if you bought a new car within the past year. But this year, uh, with the with the increase in the value of used cars, I do think that the blue book values have, are increasing. So I've heard that people are actually, people who actually gotten their tax bill in the last day or two have seen increases in their personal property tax bills on their cars, even though the cars have gotten older. So that'll be of particular interest to me. Well, uh, thank you for listening, Coriana, David, Patrick. Thank you for being on the podcast. As always, plenty more at showmeinstitute.org, and we will talk to you after the holiday. 